Hello there, and welcome to the SLP Now podcast, where we share practical therapy tips and ideas for busy speech-language pathologists. Grab your favorite beverage and sit back as we dive into this week's episode. Hey there, today we get to chat about multiple meaning words, and I have absolutely been loving diving into all of the vocabulary research And I keep hearing about those multiple meaning words, and I'm really excited to share what I've learned over the past several years um, as I've kind of built up my knowledge of vocabulary concepts and all of that. Um, So our goals for today are to identify evidence-based strategies that we can use when assessing and teaching multiple meaning words. And I hope that you'll walk away with a ton of practical um, ideas and tips that you can use to implement this with your own caseload. And before we dive in, I just wanted to do just a quick recap. We've talked about this a lot, but why even we're target vocabulary when we have so many other potential target areas that we could be focusing on. And um, a huge part of participating in the classroom and being in school is being able to read and vocabulary is a preeminent predictor of success in literacy. This was, um, it's been cited in a lot of different places. This little piece of data came from the National Reading Panel. If we can do anything to support with that and help students better access the curriculum in that way, that's so incredibly powerful. I love this quote by Rich Gels and he says that The number of words in a child's vocabulary is an indicator of his or her linguistic health, and it's also a factor in his or her ability to use language in varied contexts and for multiple purposes. So by giving students this vocabulary, they're able to communicate and be more linguistically healthy by just giving them the tools that they need to be able to do that. And more specifically, why would we focus on multiple meaning words? Paul and O'Rourke, this is an article that I pulled from 1988, but they said that 50% of English words have multiple meanings. That's a lot. That's a high percentage. So a lot of the words that we're encountering can be interpreted in multiple ways. By teaching students about multiple meaning words, we can encourage them to cross-check meaning with a context of the sentence, which is a really great um, vocabulary learning strategy. There's some studies too that have also said that by teaching multiple representations of one word that it helps increase the likelihood that a student will remember the word. And I'll put some of the resources in the show notes, the different citations, so you can check those out too. We won't go into too much detail there. Um, But there's a lot of reasons why we might target those words. They're really common, over 50% of English words. It's a strategy that we can use to help students. Um, And then it also might give students a stronger representation of the word so that they're more likely to use it in the future and retain it. So before we dive into treatment, We need to figure out where we're starting, what we're working with, and what we want to do. So for assessment, there was a really great overview on Dr. Karen's blog, 
and she talked about literal versus psychological meaning. So if you look at the progression of understanding of multiple meaning words, they're really good at understanding the meaning of really concrete ones like bat. Both of the meanings of bat, you can easily picture those and it's really concrete. But then as the vocabulary becomes more complex, it's harder for them to grasp those. Um, and she, check out her blog post for an overview of the development. She dives into detail on that and I will let her take all the credit for that. Um, but I think it's really interesting and it just, just to sum it up, really young children can pick up on the literal meanings and then understanding of the psychological meanings emerges around five to six and then it just continues, that understanding continues to solidify as they enter elementary school and as they go through middle school and secondary. So it's just something to keep in mind as we are assessing the skill. I created different assessments that have leveled lists of vocabulary that we can look at when we're working through this. Um, so that's a helpful starting point and the lists are organized in level of complexity and then you can administer the items and see which ones they understand and kind of decide which quote-unquote level of vocabulary you want to use working on this skill going forward. Um, but I think this is, you don't need my materials or my assessment. I think that knowing this can help us just pull some of our own vocabulary words as well and we can use that to determine where a student falls with this skill. So now we get to get into my favorite part which is actually teaching and practicing this skill. So the first thing that we want to do is pre-teach the vocabulary and this isn't the case if we're working with younger students or students who have very limited vocabulary because they they tend to need a little bit more context before we dive into like what the words mean. They need something to hang those words off of. Um, I feel like that was me in grad school just trying, like I didn't have anything to hang all of these different concepts that I was learning off of. Um, but then once I started to get some clinical experience, I had something to hang off all of those lessons and it made a lot more sense. So that's a strategy that we want to use with our younger students or students who have really low and limited vocabulary. But if we're working on multiple meaning words, we should have enough of a vocabulary to be able to define a word and have it make sense because at that point we're starting to read like with the earlier, with the example where we would want to teach the, the meaning of the vocabulary word after, we would often be using um, like picture books or other supports so that they can comprehend what's happening in the passage without necessarily understanding that one particular word. So it's like if we were watching a French movie and we had like some of the subtitles and we could kind of we would still be able to understand what was happening versus if we were just listening to a recording of a conversation, if they didn't pre-teach the vocabulary, we would have no clue what was going on. Um, so there's just the, those different levels. There was research done by the National Reading Panel and that they found in general, students have greater comprehension of a text if they are taught the keywords prior to reading. 
Um, so a lot of this research is looking at typically developing students and I assume higher level students. So just keep that in mind. Don't always pre-teach the vocabulary. I feel like I had to give that as a caveat. Um, but then if pre-teaching is appropriate for the student, it's helpful because we are able to introduce the word, they're able to start understanding it, like we might write the word, we might sound out the word, we will give the student a student-friendly definition, we'll put the word in a sentence, the student will create some sentences, and they'll start to get some understanding of what that word means. And then when they encounter the word in the text, that'll count as a meaningful opportunity, assuming that we can keep them engaged and we definitely want to be doing that. <laughs> definitely send me an email if you want some tips for that. But then you'll prime them with a bunch of meaningful exposures to the word and then they'll encounter it in the text. They'll be able to comprehend what's happening in the text because they got that pre-exposure and then they're able to continue solidifying the meaning of that word. And this step is super important, um, especially giving those direct explanations because we could use a word in context all the time but if we never explained it the student wouldn't learn and retain that knowledge especially the students that we're working with because it's that much more challenging for their we're seeing them for a reason and especially if they're older they've already missed a lot of exposures and given like their uh language delay or impairment or whatever disability they may have or their cognitive level, they need a lot more exposures to the word and they needed they need that direct instruction to be able to benefit. And I also have a couple different citations for that. They will all land in the show notes. So once we've done the pre-teaching, one piece that I like to do to organize that and to continue building on what we see in the text is using a variety of graphic organizers. Um, so I'll do a demo in at the end here. Um, and if you're listening to the audio version of this, you'll want to head to the course site to get access to the actual video demonstrations. Um, but I really like using graphic organizers and they really help us explore what a word means and help the student develop a deeper understanding. And I learned a lot of this from Becca et al's book and I will also link that. It's helpful to, like depending on where the student is, we can discuss different semantic features of the word so we can look at the function, the physical characteristics, the location and the associations all of those different components to help the students build more deep and detailed understandings of words. And then beyond that, we can also um, embed them in sentences to give them meaningful like context and help them make associations that way. Um, and we can, once we fill in a graphic organizer, we have all of that information at our disposal. So that's super nice. We can also um, deepen the understanding by having them write and say the word. We talked about some of these examples already and I don't know if that would necessarily count as a meaningful exposure because it's not giving them additional meaning um, but it's helpful to have that orthographic knowledge behind it and also kind of 
sound mapping the words and that's not a great technical explanation but I've read some really cool studies that go into that and then there's also um, if you get double whammy if you have the students say the word in a meaningful context so if they're saying their own sentences writing their own sentences that just gives us even more bang for our buck another strategy which i touched on already was to use the words so we want to use like i said use those words in sentences and explaining meanings of words and using them in sentences helps draw awareness to the syntactic structures and it just really helps build on all of that different knowledge and how they could actually use the word so yeah i might know what catastrophe means but if i don't understand what part of speech it is and how to put that into a sentence i wouldn't know how to use it like i walk to catastrophe i catastrophe like that if i don't know how to where to put that into a sentence then it's not going to be very useful for me so that's why that strategy is so incredibly important and helpful and when we if students are struggling we can definitely model that first but we want to encourage them to make some connections and be able to even with some scaffolding and support whether you're using um, sentence stems or having just different ways of scaffolding maybe providing part of the sentence and having them fill in the word there's some different strategies that we can use to help set students up up for success to actually use those words another strategy is to collect the words so um, I came across this a lot as I was doing research too one in particular was pop 1997 and we want to give students a place to keep track of the words they're learning like I personally love putting together a vocabulary journal and I'll show you what mine looks like but then it's a really nice way to build upon the vocabulary so we might select a couple words a handful of words for a unit dive into them and then if we're keeping them in the journal we can revisit them as we continue the unit but then we can also pull back words that we targeted in previous units and use them in new contexts and that is super helpful um, another strategy if you're not super excited about a journal is to set up an interactive word wall i used to have one of these in my room I really like this that the students were able to have ownership of their vocabulary journal um, and my journal was super simple I just got a file folder and I found some prongs they were like I don't know five dollars for a hundred prongs and I just stick them in the folder so I can two hole punch them and I just like that because it has a tab and I can easily put them away and find them and it's cheaper than buying folders and the folders were kind of annoying with because they have they have folders that you can put papers in but they're just hard to open and close and it's not organized in any way so i really like just the file folder and we have two sides and i'll show you how i put those things together because i know that's easier to see but that's one strategy that's been very helpful um, and then the interactive word wall i just bought a pocket chart um, they have them at a lot of teacher stores and you can get them on amazon too i'll link to one in the show notes so you can kind of take a look 
Um, but then I used to use index cards and had students make cards for the different words. But I, as I started using more graphic organizers, I found that I really liked having a little bit more space. And it was cool to be able to build sentences using the words because you could make giant sentence strips and pull the words down. Um, so that might be a nice strategy. Maybe if you can get bigger cards so that the students have more room to put all of the information or if maybe you could create graphic organizers on like a tablet or whatnot and that gives you the ability to write a little bit bigger like you can make the screen bigger and then kind of zoom out a little bit and print onto a smaller space so the students can still see it but I, it was just a little bit trickier to make that work but I really liked being able to pull the vocabulary cards and put them together. But you could also use a dynamic approach where you keep all of the words in the pocket chart or on the wall, word wall, and then you just have them build out their individual journals and then they can refer to their journal as they're building sentences. That could be pretty cool. And I really liked color coding my cards so that students automatically would get some clues or cues on how to put the sentence or the words into sentences in an appropriate way so that then they would know that like they would always put the noun in the noun spot and it would be color coded accordingly and I just used the modified Fitzgerald, Fitzgerald key when I did that um, so that's a super helpful strategy you could use kind of a dynamic approach so they're still seeing all the words that they've worked on but they have more information, more personal information in their journal. And I like the journal because it's just really easy for them to add new knowledge about the word. Um, and sometimes students would come back and be like, oh, I have a perfect example for this word. And then they would uh, write it in their journal. And that was super fun and encouraging to see them excited about that. So the next strategy is to incorporate movement when you're introducing these words. So sometimes talking about vocabulary and reading articles and all of those things are not super fun. Um, there are some things that we can do to make it more fun and engaging. So we could pull some YouTube videos that would cater to that vocabulary word and have them create sentences about what's happening and so we can get creative and come up with different activities, but I've found that incorporating movement is one strategy that works like it's almost magical. Um, but there's some different articles showing that incorporating movement is a helpful strategy. And I always tell this story because it just feels so magical, but I was working with a group of sixth graders and we were working on vocabulary around forensic science. That's what they were working on in the classroom. And they were really struggling to understand the article. And it was not written at a particular, like it wasn't written in a difficult way. It was pretty approachable in terms of reading level, but they were just really, really struggling. And I found that they were struggling with the vocabulary. They didn't understand like suspect and victim and evidence and all of those different types of words. So we ended up acting them out 
and creating different scenarios. And we were using the vocabulary the whole time that we were doing that, but we created different crime scenes just using toys that I, because I was working with younger students too. So I had like some Fisher Price toys. So we had, because I know that forensic science can get a little bit tricky, um, but we were using it in very friendly terms and using just different farm animals. And we were saying like the cow got tipped over and that was the crime. And then they had to find the suspect. And we just did some really (laughs) child-friendly examples of how that might work. Nothing gruesome. Um, But it was just amazing to see that, like we had talked about the words before, but it was just a lot to wrap their heads around. But being able to move around and kind of act out the different components and they get to like sneak around like a, a criminal or they get to kind of act out being the victim and what that feels like, it just really helped solidify their understanding of those words and we did we went through the article again and their comprehension just skyrocketed it was really exciting to see that happen so by combining all of these different factors um, or all of these different strategies we can really see some pretty amazing growth with our students so that's all that we have for the kind of practical strategy piece um, in terms of the teaching and with multiple meaning words, a lot of the teaching is embedded in the practice because we really want to get those meaningful exposures to the vocabulary words. And the only way to do that is to use the word and we do that in practice. So we can do this while reading children's books, textbooks, articles like Readworks and News ELA are some of my favorites. Um, I also have a blog post where I write about my favorite books for different vocabulary targets. So I can share that um, if you're looking for some ideas. I also have one for different articles that are super helpful. Um, And the articles are free, which is always super helpful. And yeah, it's just really thinking about how to make this meaningful for our students, how to get them excited about it, and find something that you can be excited about too, something that you can have fun with um, because if you're not having fun, the students are not having fun either and that is key to learning. Like we want their brains lit up with excitement and engagement so that they're more likely to retain these um, words and build out their brains and build out their vocabulary. Thanks for listening to the SLP Now podcast. This podcast is part of a course offered for continuing education through Speech Therapy PD. So yes, you can earn ASHA CEUs for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with your SLP friends. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast to get the latest episodes sent directly to you. See you next time.